The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is Joni Siegel, and with me today in the studio, I have my illustrious co-host. Illustrious. I like it. Jason Good. Here we there are. There you go. <laughs> Jason Good. I almost said Jason Siegel, because I have a, there's a Jason Siegel. There is. My nephew is Jason Siegel, but anyway, what, Jason the, Good. The Jason Siegel? I don't yeah. know. My, I have a nephew that is a Jason Segel. Oh, I was about to say. I was like, hmm. Not a movie star. He's a Jason Segel. <laughs> but anyway, this is Jason Good. Jason Good's here in the studio. Yay! Yay! Woo-hoo! The episode tonight is number 130. Jeez. We are well into our third year. Almost half a year. And look how almost much we've done. Two and a half. I, I know. I like to think that, you know, as... I started things at Narcan on Suncoast and things started building there. We created this massive thing kind of right next to it. And it's like the amount of creation that's gone into everything we've done, I think is fantastic because we went from this real grassroots like idea of let's try this to, I mean, look at the guests we've had on. I mean, look at the success stories that have been on. Look at the things you and I have talked about. It's just created such a awesome thing. Yep. It's kind of cool to think about it. You know what I mean? Kind of look back on the last five years and see like, whoa, we have actually, I feel like made like a dent in this thing. Like as far as like we've put ourselves out there and started to like get people talking. I think so. And having the conversations that are very difficult to have and talking about a topic that is extremely emotionally charged. I think so. And you know, one of the things we're going to talk about today is some of the lawsuits against pharmaceutical companies. And I'm not going to say that our podcast is responsible for that, but I'm just going to say we are punching up public awareness on a regular basis Mm -hmm. about this problem and that, you know, and that the pharmaceutical companies have some responsibility for it. Yeah. So what's the article that we Well, this is... um, this is, it says, Landmark Ruling in Oklahoma Opioid Lawsuit. And Johnson & Johnson was judged responsible for public nuisance in the first case to go to trial. And an Oklahoma court awarded the state $572 million. Now, that sounds like a lot of money. They were going after $17 billion. Mm-hmm. But one of the points that this um, article makes is it's kind of just the first in a series of what will start coming down the line with these pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because they didn't, they said, they said it's, it's, it, it's that what they were doing was wrongful sure. because of the drugs and because of what they do. And you know, the way they're marketing it just to make money, knowing very, you know, knowing full well what the uh, negative implications of it could be with that, you know, the amount of drugs that got in people's hands. Yeah. It seems like they all knew, Hey, this stuff is probably super addictive. However, no, they marketed it in a way that got so many people onto it and just raked in millions and millions, if not billions of dollars. Exactly. What it says, it says the, the case is also notable as it is the first time the public nuisance theory has been upheld in a U.S. mass tort case. Mm-hmm. And this is a quote. Essentially, it says that Johnson & Johnson is responsible, but not because it engaged in any dishonesty, fraud, or conspiracy, says lawyer Harry Nelson. They are responsible because they imposed so much harm on the state of Oklahoma in terms of the death toll, the addiction, and all the other costs. I mean, that's heavy duty. I think that is the death knoll for some pharmaceutical companies. And what can I say? Well, you want to think about it it created a public nuisance with the death toll and all the other things that go along with it. Well, let's look at more of – I hate even calling it a nuisance. It almost has this like – 
don't know, kind of a weird vibe to the word, but it's like look at what a addiction did to the state of Oklahoma or any state for that matter because you look at the public nuisance of it. Yeah, I mean, it's costing the state money when, you know, situations happen somehow related to addiction, whether it be car crashes or hospital bills and stuff like that. We also have to look at the public nuisance and the fact of you had a state where you had a rate of addiction that was, you know, at X number, right? And then Johnson Johnson, other companies come in, all of a sudden people are getting addicted left, right, and center on these drugs. The public nuisance more is like, what's the fallout that the state's experienced because so many people have become addicted? And you have to look at the people who are on government assistance due yep. to, I mean, I'm just going to say that and we're just going to push some buttons now. Yep. So look at the people on government assistance who are most likely drug addicts or the people who are on government assistance because, or on disability even because they're just so depressed and can't work and they've been you know labeled mentally ill and gotten disability for it but they're also on drugs we have to look at the the violent crimes the theft the all that stuff that's going on that is really the public nuisance to me that's the fallout or the side effect of the fact that so many people in the state are addicted to these drugs yep yep that's just me this also says it says this is far from the end which i was saying far from the end of opioid litigation in the u.s a large federal multi-district litigation case is set to start this October in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. It aggregates nearly 2,000 lawsuits featuring multiple drug companies, distributors, and pharmacies. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's I, coming I, down the line, yeah, guys. And I'm glad, I'm glad it's happening because it's been going on long enough to where the pharmaceutical industries do need to take some responsibility Absolutely. for what's occurred. And the buzzword all this time up until now is Purdue. Purdue, Purdue, Purdue. You think about the opioid crisis, you think of Oxycontin, you think of Oxycontin, people most likely think of Purdue. But they're just one of a just group exactly. of uh, pharmaceutical companies that played a whole role in this thing. It was like, it was almost like, it, it, it's kind of mind-boggling to even think of it like this, but it's almost like, you know how you have a bunch of, for the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, you have a bunch of psychiatrists that come into a room, they all kind of vote on mental disorders and you know, it's kind of a way to make money and get people on drugs. Let's have Wait. a miniature schnauzer disorder because I have a miniature schnauzer in the room. Well, maybe it's Just because kidding. he's mini Sorry. and not a schnauzer. I don't know. It's a disorder. Uh, yeah, okay. Breed disorder. I don't know. <laughs> but, so there's that thing that happens yeah. with psychiatry. It's like it's almost it draws a parallel to me with the pharmaceutical company. It's like a bunch of CEOs and stuff all, from all the different companies kind of came in and said, so how are we going to maximize our profit margin? Well, let's figure out a way to get the, the, a drug, or an addictive drug, into the hands of a lot of consumers and customers around the country and market it in a way that they don't actually realize that there's going to be a major fallout from it. it. It seems like it's a similar thing that happened because now you, instead of just Purdue, you've got Purdue, you've got Insys Pharmaceuticals, you've Johnson got Johnson & Johnson, Johnson, you've yep. got you know, all these other companies that played a role. And then beyond the manufacturers, you've got the distributors. And the, whole, right. and the people and the companies actually selling the actual drug to the pharmacies. You've got situations like what happened in West Virginia, the one that the Jim Zweers made uh, a whole documentary about yep. um, where you've got rural counties that have had 2 million pills or 4 million pills or something like a ridiculous number for the amount of people that live there shipped into a pharmacy for what reason? And that was McKesson. A McKesson, right. That so was McKesson. Another one. It's like... There was a whole larger picture, and you know, I've written in my blog. There's blogs that I write sometimes have commonalities in them, in the way that I write them or the way I word things. And I found myself saying almost over and over and over again, kind of ad nauseum, that it's like this whole thing, this whole opioid crisis, or just let's call it the drug crisis in general. All it did was it it victimized families, 
in one way or another, turn people into addicts. But at the end of the day, all it was is a method of lining the pockets of you know some big wigs and pharmaceutical companies. And the whole crisis has been driven on greed. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I don't know how I can even remotely state how I feel about any company, any organization, or any person that will value a dollar over a person's life. That's right. They, how do you, they, so... Well, I want to tell you about a good, some good news from the podcast. Good. That, that was really, really cool. Let's do it. Um, we, have, we set up a phone number for the podcast, mm-hmm. and I, I say that in the middle of the podcast every week, like if someone wants to reach out to us on the podcast, mm-hmm. that they can call this number. Mm-hmm. We have a number. And it just goes to a voicemail. So they have to leave a message, and then we get like a notification. And so I was out and about on Friday, and I got a voicemail. Mm-hmm. And it was from a young man named Austin. And he said, I have to tell you that you're listening to your podcast keeps me sane. Mm-hmm. He said, I am a recovered addict. Mm-hmm. And he, he and his wife, they're both recovered addicts. They're in Wyoming. Um, and they actually started, um, I don't know what you would call it. It's not a 12-step program, but they started a group. A support for- group. Yeah, support group for recovered addicts. Because there wasn't anything in their area. Mm-hmm. And they said the first time they met... Nobody came. It was just it was just the two of them. And then he said they just did it again, and they had like forty people there. So wow. it's really building. But it was just really nice to hear. And then he also asked how he could um, get on the podcast. So Steve and I called him mm-hmm. and found his heard his story. It's mm-hmm. quite a story, and um, amazing that he and his wife got clean because mm-hmm. they just didn't have a lot of resources where they were in Wyoming. And, um, yeah, so we're going to see if we can get him on the podcast and let him tell his story. Cause I, nice. But I just, I appreciated hearing from him because I know sometimes you get calls at Narconon because that's the phone number we've promoted for the mm-hmm. last two and a half years. But this was one that actually came into the podcast. And so shout out to Austin if you're listening. Can't wait to get you on the podcast. want to talk to you and also your wife so mm-hmm. you guys can tell your story. I want to hear all about your beautiful baby girl. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, thanks for calling. And for anybody else that listens, um, I don't have the number right at the top of my head, but if you keep listening to the podcast, it'll play. And then you can call us and give us your feedback. Nice. Um, Very cool. I mean, it's yeah. great to hear stories like that. And, you know, especially states like Wyoming, I mean, they're extremely, like, sparsely ha- like they're not not really very inhabited. It's That's right. Like, it's almost like Alaska. It's like you've got all this <laughs> land, not a lot of people, and in rural areas. And, and my girlfriend can even attest to this, but she lived in a rural area in Tennessee at one point. When you live in a small town with not much to do, there's only a few things you can do. One of which is obviously getting into drugs, cause trouble, get into illegal activity, or just do nothing. Right. <laughs> right. Which uh, most people don't opt for the nothing, I suppose. Uh, but that's also a section of the United States that we don't look at very much. As you hear a lot of stories coming out of Boston, Miami, Philadelphia, New York, Oklahoma, you know, some, you know, Oklahoma City and stuff like that. You don't hear about the town of 2,500 people in you know, West Virginia or Montana or wherever where drug abuse is rampant. That's right. It's running around like crazy. And you bring up a very, very valid point. There are not a lot of resources. And we're a resource, which we is resource. which is a really good point, you know. And, you know, maybe maybe there isn't a group wherever somebody's listening, right. but they can listen to us, exactly. you know. And our whole message, you know, over and over and over again is of mm-hmm. hope and help and, 
you know, you do your do research and you can do this. And, you know, um, you know, last week, Jason, um, I don't know if you had a chance to hear the interview that we did. It was just, it was a, it was a fascinating interview, kind of changing the subject here for a minute, but we have so many different stories from different viewpoints. Sure. This was the wife of a former NFL football player. Yeah, I was here for that. No, no, this was last week. Her name was Cindy. And her husband died. Oh. He was an alcoholic and he died. And he, um, I know you were here for Kim. Yes. Okay. Now this was a different one. Okay. And her husband died because of head trauma. Mm-hmm. But as a result of the head trauma, he had become an alcoholic. Oh. So initially they said um, he died of cirrhosis of the liver, mm-hmm. which can be caused by alcoholism. Sure. But then they also found out that it was, I cannot, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to say this, this particular word but it has to do with um brain trauma it's cte encephalopathy but it's there's a c and a t before that but it's another type of a of a it's another story that brings another aspect of this whole subject to Mm -hmm. light because you know we had an athlete on who a former nfl player who who felt that painkillers was part of his job description right and one of the points i made after we did that was if you're if you're a parent who's listening and you have a kid that wants to go into professional sports something to be aware of and you know there's just a lot of aspects and a lot of angles to this whole addiction problem and i think one of the things that is good is that we get all these different different viewpoints that are all valid whether it's law enforcement talking about vaping we get some feedback on that you got some haters yeah or or whether it's you know it's a former athlete or a former rock star that you know has their own story with drug addiction but the thing about athletes is i don't remember where i read it or how long ago it was it was obviously within the time period of me working with narcanon and addiction everything it was like there was a doctor that said you know the the amount of opioids that are prescribed for like common painful situations, a sprained ankle or broken arm or whatever, don't require opioids. Like the pain is not so severe that it would require that where ibuprofen could usually could be used and actually be somewhat more effective because what ibuprofen does is it reduces inflammation. Right. It's anti inflammatory. So a lot of the painful conditions that people have with, you know, broken or sprained whatever's inflammation you handle the inflammation the pain lessens to where it's like most of these conditions can be handled with ibuprofen rather than opioids well but the and the, the other opioids th- are supposed to be a last ditch effort like they're initially when they gained any kind of popularity in medicine after the era of pet medicine back in the 1900s where you had cocaine toothache drops i mean it was they're only indicated for like cancer patients like i remember hearing about oxycontin that's what cancer patients got but then all of a sudden you know, you've got the football player in high school broke his leg and now he's getting Oxycontin. Like, but the oh, other weird. thing is, you, what you don't want is he starts taking the Oxycontin so that he can continue to play. That's true. No, he needs to heal. Right. I will say, and the listeners don't know this, but about three weeks ago, I broke a bone in my foot. Mm-hmm. And yes, it hurt very badly when I broke it. Didn't really hurt much after that. Right. And so about five days later, when I saw an orthopedist, he put me in a boot. He didn't even offer me painkillers. I, I like I wasn't in pain, but I think that's kind of rare that he didn't offer me painkillers. Because I, I think th- a lot of times I would have been offered painkillers. See, it's interesting. I had the completely opposite thing almost happened to me. Was it four or five weeks ago? So I had knee surgery years yep. and years and years ago, and I had part of my my meniscus removed. And so they were like, "Oh, by the way, you know, as you get older, it's going to get worse, and you might end up needing surgery again." Well, that happens. I got older, um, and uh, 
my knee started to like dis like dislocate and it was mm-hmm. like really kind of gross how that was happening and so i'm like okay fine i need to go and revisit this and the first thing i did is i had to go to the emergency room to get a uh, referral to an orthopedic surgeon and i go into the emergency room and they take me back and blah 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 I'm like okay great we have you back here the doctor's gonna come in and i'm gonna bring we are back and bring you something for pain i was like no <laughs> <laughs> why do i look like or sound like i'm in like i'm in pain like right. i don't know granted I don't know what they were going to bring me. Right. So they could have very easily been like, oh, and here's a Tylenol, whatever. But I'm I don't almost think so. willing. No, I very yeah. highly doubt. I'm almost willing to bet that I was going to get a little bit of something. And I was just like, why does that seem necessary? Well, I actually asked. I said, do I seem like I'm in pain? I don't need anything. They're like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a common practice. We want to make sure you're not in pain. I was like, oh, God, don't get me started, please. Right. You just said the wrong thing <laughs> exactly. at the wrong time to me. I don't even want to be here right now. But <laughs> I had to really like, keep my composure about me. I'm like, this is our common practice. Like, you are the root of the problem. I'm yeah. sorry. I just, no, it's I, true. But neither doctor that I saw, either the urgent care or the orthopedist, offered me pain meds. Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For further information on the podcast, you can go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or you can find us on our Facebook page by the same name, or you can call us at 727-314-7080, or you can email us to the addiction podcast at yahoo.com for further information on Narcan on Suncoast call 1-877-339-3324 that's 1-877-339-3324 sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast and get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com, that's N-E-W-M-A-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N-S.com, and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And so they were smart because they went, you don't appear to be in much pain. I'm like, I'm not. Good. Okay. Well, then I'm not going to give you pain pills. Well, I'm which surprised. Which kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, they would be like, well, just take this in case you're ever in pain when you leave right. here. So it's right. like, oh my God, those are the little things that it's almost like a sales tactic if you yeah. think about it. Well, I, think, I feel like they get compensated when they sell the drugs. And I think sometimes, in some ways they do because I, I know I told the story with my back when I threw my right. back out really badly. And yes, he gave me a prescription for steroids, which I knew would handle the inflammation Correct. and the heavy duty painkiller. Now, in all, in all honesty, I should have looked at him and said, I don't need the painkiller. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take the steroids. Right. But, you know, it's- and it was, over, it was overkill. It was a lot of pain pills. Yeah, I'll it bet it was. Overkill, you know? 
And I would I don't even I don't even know that I was in that bad of pain when I saw him. I don't remember. Yeah, well, but my anyway. orthopedic surgeon didn't offer me pain pills or anything. So he, I'll give him credit there. Yeah. But that hospital, I'm like one that had choked this nurse. <laughs> I'm like, I was, I was like, how can you still do this? And there's a sign. It was weird. Interesting. They did that. There was a sign as you checked in. that was like, we will not dispense heavy duty narcotics to you. Well, but what constitutes a heavy duty narcotic to? So, I mean, it's like. Well, it might not have been Oxycontin or fentanyl. I it might have been it, something somewhat lower may, dose, but still. Something you know. that was unnecessary because I feel like you should look at someone and visibly, if they're not in pain, why are you going to offer pain? Exactly. Anything. So exactly. You brought exactly. up vaping. I know. We, okay. I, I mean, I, I tried to pretend we weren't going to go into that, but now so, we're at the point where I'm like, I'm just going to take the brakes off this thing and so we're, we're going to talk about vaping. Well, you used to say when we talk about marijuana, we'd like get Emotional like majorly, well, let the, me tell you, vaping, because we posted an episode with Dan Zito, uh-huh. who is a former Pinellas County Sheriff's Office deputy. Sure. And uh, yeah, he goes all over, all over and talks about vaping. And yeah, people have really like very, you know, Emotional, I don't know why they get so ugly about emotion, it though. It's an emotional reaction. Oh it's my like, goodness. How dare you attack and... my lifestyle choices? <sighs> it's like, well, okay. Got and, it. But. <laughs> and here's the thing. If you're an adult and you want to vape to come off of cigarettes, that's fine. That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. We're talking about youth and teens vaping. Right. So I'm bringing something up. Go for it. Actually, I'm bringing multiple things up that will open up <laughs> different angles to this conversation. Well, give so, me your email. Okay. Well, yeah. No, please don't. You just give my direct phone number. I'm just going to put my cell phone number on here. They can text me their hatred about my comments. Okay. I used to be a vapor. Let's put it out there. Okay. Now. We thought I, you still were. I know you did. That's why we weren't going to talk, talk about, about this. We're going to talk about this. Jason, how can we logically <laughs> talk about this if you still vape? I don't. And here's the thing. I used it to stop smoking. And then I eventually stopped vaping, which was the original intention behind it. Right. And that's all well and good. But vaping, just like any kind of drug product or what what have you, evolves over time. So vaping went from this. You went to the store and got these little vape pens with just nicotine to stop smoking. And then you went from that for a while. And then you stopped smoking was the idea. But then that evolved to people getting these devices where you blow these giant clouds uh, vapor, but they come with a liquid that's very low nicotine. Okay, fine. The liquid's low nicotine, but they mount the size of like the cumulonimbus cloud you just blew out of your <laughs> mouth. You probably got a giant dose of nicotine. <laughs> and so people are doing that for a while. And there's this, there's like a fan base to it. And it's got like this like cult following. And there's all these vapors clubs and groups on Facebook. And people are buying and selling, you know, their little devices and tanks and drippers and okay fine so then vaping takes another has another evolution instead of these big devices where you blow basically a giant thunderstorm in your apartment or your house or your car because people vape like that in their car i don't know how they drive when you can't see because you can't see (laughs) so it's changed again so you get these (laughs) right and uh you now there's these smaller devices called pod systems don't vape and drive don't vape and not (laughs) don't blow clouds and drive because it's hard enough to see when it's cloudy or foggy outside your vehicle if it's foggy inside your vehicle i'd say you're probably having just as much problem seeing in front of you but uh, vaping evolved again and so these pod systems came out pod systems 
brought up the creation of a nicotine-based salt, a nicotine salt liquid, which means you could create a, um, an e-liquid, which is what's called, that has an extraordinary high level of nicotine in it, but it's not really rough on your throat and it's not hard to inhale. But the dose of nicotine is astronomical. Now, you're not blowing these big clouds. It's a much smaller amount of vapor production. But that's where the evolution went to. And then once, once the evolution has happened, now we're starting to see issues right. with vaping. Because, you know, scrolling through my Facebook feed, I'm seeing, you know, this kid over here. His lungs were blocked all of a sudden. He can't breathe. things in the hospital. And the family had no idea he was using a jewel. When the jewel and the word jewel, I bet you about three quarters of our listeners just had an emotional response. Why I just said that word. So because jewel came out and when I went to a, a vapor store one time, like, Oh God, you know, jewel, have you heard of it? Such the rage. I was like, what are you talking about? Right. And they showed me this thing. It's a little stick device. You can put a little cartridge in it and it's got astronomical levels of nicotine. I was like, why would I want that? Because I'm trying to go the other way. Trying to quit smoking. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm trying to like skirt the other way. I'm like doing a little harm prevention at the moment. Because it's like the better of two evils and then go off. But they're like, oh, it's a thing. And you get this. You get a great head buzz from it. I was like, I, what? Why? <laughs> and then I looked down. I saw the CBD. I'm like, never mind. Makes sense. Anyways. And then as I was going, and I, I didn't, I never bought it. And I was going into the store, you know, once a week where I would get more liquid for what I was using. And you see these very, very young people coming in to buy the jewels and they're selling out left and right. And it's the newest rage is all over the place. Um, but what we've done is we've just done, we've, we're starting to create the opposite effect of what vaping was intentionally supposed to have. That's so right. there's an argument now that, you know, people are going to vape first and then they're going to get hooked on nicotine and then they're going to start smoking. It's like, no, you've got it wrong. We're taking people who are not addicted to nicotine and getting them hooked on a nicotine product more specifically from the jewel companies, that's the most popular one out there that's going cuckoo off the shelves. And, you know, more and more young, like under 18 age kids are starting to pick it up because they come in delicious, you know, mango and fruit and mint and bubblegum unicorn poop flavors and whatever. Yep. And it's like you have more and more kids using this, but you're taking a kid that has no tolerance to nicotine and they're getting hit with a dose of 50 milligrams of nicotine. That's how high these doses are or 0.5%. And a kid whose mind has not fully developed. Well, that too. But and it affects it. But the thing is, like, so e-cigarettes and stuff like that were designed for people who are already dependent on nicotine to help them get to a medium that was less harmful and is an in-between to gain them off. But now what's happening is kids are picking up these jewel e-cigarettes and the nicotine content is so high. They've had, I've heard there's been seizures. There's been kids who've had strokes. There's been all sorts of weird stuff because they get nicotine poisoned. Yep. Because they're not used to it. So the, they, the CDC like, came out and like, said it's not it's not good for teens and preteens and young adults. It's it's not good. It's harmful. And and that was what that was what we talked about when yeah. Dan Zito was on the podcast. And I think that parents probably think, oh, he's not smoking, he's just vaping. And the whole idea being the just vaping is it's not better than smoking for young people. It's not. Well, if you're an adult and you're trying to get all quit smoking and go to vaping, fine. Right. Well, I want to back up real quick and just make sure we're clear. When you're saying that it's just as bad as smoking, we're talking about the consumption of nicotine. Right. Now, it has been shown that if you're going to use a vapor product versus an, a tobacco product, there's less harmful result things in the vapor than there is tobacco because you've got you burn tobacco and you get 
thousands of uh, carcinogenic chemicals that are created by the combustion of of tobacco, not to mention whatever's in there to begin with. Right. Um, so neither, we're not proponents of either, really. Right. They're neither really exactly. good for you. But kids shouldn't be getting dependent right out the gate on nicotine. But let's look at greed again. We can kind of parallel this to the big oh, pharma yeah. situation. So it's like you get a bunch of kids hooked on vapor products because cigarettes are kind of out, not cool anymore. People, you know, between the ages of 14 and 17 really aren't picking up their first pack of Marlboro Reds now and they're picking up a Juul. So right? what do the cigarette companies do? What do the tobacco companies well, we do? We have to figure out how to recover our lost profits. Exactly. So you get big farm, you get big farm. Like I've said that big so tobacco. many times. It's just like stuck big in my head. Tobacco. You get big tobacco companies owning e-cigarette companies to recover their profits. And so you've got, with it Altria that owns the, yep. Juul, the Juul product? And Altria is a subsidiary of Philip Morris. Morris. Yep. So we've just come full circle. It's like the big so, pharma when they come up with the antidote to, uh, you know, to uh, Suboxone. And, you know, oh, the like, antidote. Yeah. How to, how, <laughs> we're going to give you the drug that's going to cause you to overdose. We're also going to create the drug that stops the overdose. So you're like, covered hey, no matter what. And we make oh, money Joni, no matter what. It, it, that's not a specific example, but it's more like a, you got hooked on Oxycontin by, <laughs> that made by Purdue Pharma. So... Luckily, Purdue just patented a new formulation of Suboxone to help you with the addiction we helped you create. It's like, oh my God, Johnny, it makes my brain hurt. I know. It does. It makes my head hurt. I know. Because we live in a cuckoo world. I feel like I'm in a world full of insane people that are all kind of going with this. And it's just, I look back and I'm saying, are me and Johnny the only ones that are not nuts? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wonder because it's like, I look back and I look at it. I'm like, okay, that makes no sense. Right. But right. I, I, Anyone who's listening right now, let me know if this has not made sense to you because I want to hear from you. So I don't feel like Joni and I and Steve over here who's <laughs> remaining silent um, are the only ones that see this because it will make me feel a lot better that most of you have seen the same things I've seen. And if you have, you need to like stand up and say something about it because the more of us that start barking about this doesn't make any sense, we can start to kind of back these companies kind of into a corner where they're going to be forced to explain themselves and the thing is they're not going to be able to. Right. And so... We've just got, we're just, the, we've got e-cigarette companies purposely targeting kids and whether they want to admit that they've done that intentionally or not, I don't care. They're because marketing they to I, kids. I, I, I mean, you can't, they, you can't say you it's not intentional. you say that's not true, I don't believe you. No. Um, it's like, we're creating addicts on purpose. And I say we're creating addicts on purpose because someone's going to make money off it, whether it's a nicotine dependency or addiction or it's a drug dependency addiction or, or whatever. And it's just like... Okay, so next, the 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 e-cigarette companies are also going to make the nicotine patch to get you off the e-cig that they just gave you. Be, and it's just like, oh, I, I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like... It makes your head hurt. It makes my head hurt. It's like, it's... I, it's it it's, makes no sense whatsoever. Guess what, everybody? It's the tobacco companies that own the companies that are putting out the e-cigs. Not all of them, but the main ones. Not all ones of them, that, but not, the main not ones. Not all of them, but the main ones that we're discussing right now. That's just what it is. Now, you've got the other e-cigarette manufacturers and stuff that make liquid and it's just like whatever they don't market it outright to kids and i was just talking before the podcast when we brought this up and we're like we probably shouldn't touch this topic and i'm like no i'm going to <laughs> and i said it was interesting because i had a family member that used to be in the tobacco industry and he was given an opportunity to invest into the jewel company he was like eh, maybe not and then i heard stories about you know the fallout that occurred after some issues were coming up with Jewel and how they were marketing. And so I heard a story. And I don't remember where I heard it from. It may have been from him, uh, this family member of mine. That So Jewel, to like handle the kind of like the blowback from everything that happened, 
they sent representatives from their company basically into schools to educate kids to not use their company's product which i was like why? i'd love to hear that talk. And i don't but it ended up being like almost like a yeah kids we're here to tell you not to do it but you should do it it's great I'd love and to hear the presentation. They got removed yeah. from the school. These people got removed from some of the schools because they were like going in with this guise of like, don't use our company's products, which is kind of like a weird flow, I would suspect. But then you've got, and then, but it's really like this like covert, like actually these, it's like kind of like a sales pitch in disguise. And they actually were kicked off some school properties. And it's just like, oh my God. It's like, I'm, I want to move. I didn't go to like, Abu Dhabi, maybe it's better. Over there. <laughs> At least I know they can't directly market psychiatric drugs to me there. That's a fact. Really? It was only two places on the planet or two countries on the planet that allowed direct to consumer marketing of, of pharmaceutical drugs. And that's the United States and uh, New Zealand. Oh. So people from other, like from the European Union, like from the UK or wherever will come over here and they'll see pharmaceutical ads on TV and like, you, they, you're allowed to, they're allowed to do this. Yeah. It's, it's very foreign as far as the concept to them. So, Anyways, I think I've aired enough of my frustrations tonight. Well, that's okay. And and when and when we get a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, comments on Facebook regarding vaping, I'm just gonna give them all your personal address just, and just, just give them my <laughs> give them my address and tell them which apartment I live in. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, for anybody out there that listens, I mean, you know, you could also give us some comments as well. That would be good. You know, I didn't uh, hear that vaping had its first death. Yeah, I mean, someone actually, I think their lungs so, failed. So how long has vaping been out now? As far as I can understand, since about 2006, 2007, it started to like pop up. But they were really like little dinky devices that didn't work really well. And so I think after about 2010-ish, it started to get some, as far as I can recollect, it started to gain popularity to where like it kind of showed up in my universe. And then from there, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to where like almost every town out there is two vape shops. But so, so if it was 2006, so it's like about 13 years and we have our first death. We smoked for a very, very long time, I think, before there were deaths due yeah, to smoking. But, it's the, but for me, it's saying. the same mentality. It's like my mom told me the same thing. Well, we didn't know it was bad for us. I'm like, what part of you thought inhaling smoke was good for you? Like, there's probably a lot of you, and correct me if I'm wrong, had an idea like this is probably not good for us. And it's the same thing with vaping. At least when I did it, I was like, never like, this is 100% safe. This is like, for me, it was like, it's kind of a harm reduction. But that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that I think that smoking was around a lot longer before people started dying from it. Then vaping has been around and now we have our first death. That's all. I think they may not have been able to link the two. Maybe. You know what I mean? I think that's what I, I think probably people had died and gotten sick from it, but they weren't able to say, well... The smoking caused this, you know what I mean? I just think we're going to find way more health issues coming up on this whole subject that, yeah. you know, we'll go, oh, gee, we didn't know. Uh, right. You know, prove me wrong. I, I'd like to be proved wrong on it, but I just think we're going to end up with some major health issues on, yeah. on you know, on the subject of vaping. And, and I'm going to say once again, young children, young people shouldn't vape, okay? If you're an adult and you want to quit smoking and you want to vape to you know, get to the point where you don't need nicotine at all. Right. Fine. We're not preaching to you. Right. We're preaching to young people That's who right. shouldn't be smoking and also shouldn't be vaping or, taking, or drinking. Or taking painkillers. Or taking drugs. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do this again, Jason. Yes. Um, we are we are coming up on Halloween, and which means we are getting close to the holidays, which means 
This is the time of year that the families say they don't want to get their loved one into treatment because they want them home for the holidays. And as you have said, for the last two years, this is a really, really bad idea because the holidays will not be what you think they will be. Ever. They won't. I I promise you they will not. And don't get me on the rant now because we're (laughs) just a little bit premature. But I just always want to, you know, encourage those who are dealing with addiction or have an addict in your family. If you think that, oh, as long as they're here for Thanksgiving, things will be fine. And then after that, we can get them into treatment. There might not be an after the holidays. Exactly. And there's and I've said in, a, in a, an article I've written, there's nothing worse than making the holidays a constant reminder of the fact that you lost your loved one. Because when someone dies on right before Thanksgiving or right before Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas are ruined forever. Yep. Because it's the constant reminder of a loss exactly. that could have been prevented. So. Exactly. So now, now, today is the time to get your loved one into treatment. That's right. And you know how to reach us. You can reach Jason. I'm not going to give you his personal cell, but you can reach him at 877-339-3324. And here's the thing. Even if you don't know enough about the Narconon program and you're not sure that's what you want to do, call the number and talk to somebody. That's something you can do today. That is the bare minimum. 877-339-3324. You can talk to Jason. You can talk to others at Narconon who know what they're talking about, and they'll just give you advice. And it's anonymous. You don't have to say your name is Joe Jones or whatever. You don't have to say any of that. But get, get help and do it now because we are closing in on the holidays. Just saying. And we'll do this again. As always. Hopefully you'll be here next week. But if not, we'll have an interview and we'll just keep on talking. That's right. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 